If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, please keep that copy for yourself. It's our gift to you. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 is what we'll be reading this morning. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the gold for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn and just wanted to welcome you. Love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to do that already. And college students, welcome back. I hope your first week of class uh, went well. And we're just grateful that you're here this morning and that we get to worship with you once again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open up his word today. Father, we come before you. We gather before you. God, you are the object of our praise, the object of our lives. Everything is about you, centered on you. But even as we prayed this morning during our time of confession, oftentimes that's not the reality of our lives. And so we come this morning Seeing this as a gift, an opportunity for us to come before you in a holy moment, God. That as we sit in seats, as we stand to sing, as your word is read and preached and sung, God, this morning, that we would be attentive to the fact that you are ever-present. And so we pray that as we dive into Philippians this morning, God, that you would help us to have our our minds set on you, that our attention would be set on you, that we would be listening to you. God, would you speak to us this morning? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would implant your word, not just in our minds so that we learn more information, but you would implant it in the depths of our hearts. And through that, God, that you would encourage us and change us and transform us in whatever way you would see fit to do this morning. We've been singing and speaking of freedom this morning. God, I pray that you'd bring freedom in lives today. And I pray, God, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing. And that we would just stand in awe that you, the King of all creation, long to know us and that you've made yourself known to us. And so we submit our lives to you today. We submit this time to you today. And God, we pray that you would be glorified. And so we ask and pray all this in Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Something I've been doing pretty consistently over the last two years is working out. I, I've Thankfully, uh, we hired a, a, another pastor onto our staff team about two years ago, and consequently with that, I go to the gym a lot more than I used to. So thanks, Edward, for that. Uh, but one thing I don't like to do is run. I, I kind of ascribe to the adage, I only run if somebody's chasing me. I know, though, there's some of you in the room that like to run. There's good runners and, and excellent runners all over the world, some who are very, very fast. I remember in elementary school, a friend of mine, we had to run the mile in, in elementary school, and, and he would run the mile in under six minutes. 
in elementary school. That's pretty impressive. He went on, of course, to get a running scholarship in an Ivy League school and ran for his school. And so it amazes me that the current world record for the mile is 3 minutes and 43 seconds for men and 4 minutes and 12 seconds for women. That's insane that somebody can run that fast. Now, the first time the four-minute mile mark was broken, was officially broken, was in 1954. Two men did it that same year, Roger Bannister from England and John Landy from Australia. But up to that point, when they originally broke that record, neither of them had actually raced against one another in any particular competition. But an opportunity came in August of 1954 for them to enter into the same competition and run head-to-head against one another. The race had a whole field of competitors, but most people were there to see what Roger Bannister and John Landy would do. And the race started off like many races do. There was a pack of runners stuck together running with one another until that pace was set. And eventually, John Landy set the pace. He got out in front of the pack the first quarter of a mile and set a blistering pace for himself and the runners, separating himself from the pack. Now, Bannister said in reflecting on that race that his strategy had been that he was going to run hard, but in that third lap was going to kind of slow down a little bit, take it a little bit easy, reserve some energy so that in that fourth lap he could kind of kick it into high gear and try and win that race. But Landy was running so fast the whole entire time that he had to change his strategy. As they entered the fourth and final lap of the race, Landy still had the lead by a few yards. Both men flying around the track. They've distanced themselves so far from the rest of the runners, nobody's even watching them anymore. If you go online and and YouTube this and look this up, it just looks like there's two guys running the race because the camera's just on them. Everybody else is so far behind them. But then it happened. The moment that would cost John Landy the race. Instead of running all out with his focus set on getting across that finish line for that last part of the race, he looked back. In a moment, he turned his head for a split second to the left to look over his shoulder to see where his competition was. And at that very moment, Roger Bannister went to his right side and passed him and won the race by just a few yards. Today, we're jumping back into the book of Philippians. And as we come to our text today, we see that the Apostle Paul would have immediately recognized Landy's mistake of turning and looking behind him in a race. See, Paul uses this fantastic analogy to help us understand what it looks like for you and I to live a life of following Jesus. What it looks like for us to give our lives to Christ and follow him for all of our life. He uses this analogy of running a race, not by looking back, but by looking ahead with complete focus and determination. And what Paul says in this text is really important for us here and now. Because all of us at different times, if we're honest with ourselves, can struggle with focus. We can struggle with focus in that we focus often on our past. And we succumb to what I I call rear view living. It's like we're trying to drive a car forward, but in in the midst of trying to drive a car forward, the way that we're doing that, instead of looking through the windshield to see what lies ahead of us, we're just looking in the rear view mirror. Now, not only is that dangerous and deadly if you're actually driving a real car, it's dangerous and deadly for your life and following Jesus. We're always looking back. And so what I want us to see today in this life-shaping text is this, that you can have freedom 
from rearview living. You can have freedom from rearview living. And my hope is, is that whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, that God would use this living and active passage of Scripture to help you see that a life focusing on and following Jesus is the only thing, the only thing that will enable you to finish the race and receive the prize. And my hope is, is that our time in God's Word will help you to have less and less momentary losses of focus to have less and less momentary losses of rhythm like John Landy and to run all out, looking straight ahead with your gaze set on your Savior. And so let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 3. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Now it's been a while since we've been in the book of Philippians. And if you're new to Sojourn or you've missed a few weeks in the midst of this sermon series, I'd encourage you to go back and and listen to the sermons that have been preached so far in this book. You can go on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts or download our app and, and listen to some of those sermons. But what we see in this book of Philippians, this letter, is that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a small, struggling 10 year old church. The church that is experiencing distraction. The church that's experiencing temptation towards disunity. And is doing so in the midst of a world, in the midst of a culture that is set against following Christ. And on top of that, there's false teachers that have risen up. They're seeking to lead the Philippians astray with a form of a spirituality that isn't rooted in the truth of the gospel. A form of a spirituality that isn't rooted in God's word. So Paul has been calling the Philippians, and because this is God's word to us, he's calling us as well to live like Jesus and live for Jesus. And as we do that, to rejoice. And in the midst of his encouragement and his exhortations, he's weaved his own story in See, in the verses immediately preceding the text we're going to spend time in today, Paul shared a bit about his own life, and he says, makes this strong statement that he looks at his life, all the good things and all the bad things that have gone on to his life, and he says, whatever gain I had, anything that any, the, the world would say, man, that's awesome, you've got a good reputation, any gain he had, he considers and now counts as loss for the sake of Christ so that he may gain Christ. He looks at everything else in his life and he says it all looks like trash compared to being found in Jesus. But this isn't something that he has, some righteousness that he has on his own. When we say righteousness, we're talking about living a right life before God, being seen by God as right, having right standing before him. And so Paul says, I don't have this righteousness of my own accord by walking in obedience, by doing all the right things, by checking off boxes. No, I have a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the very Son of God, who was sent by the Father to live on this earth, earth a perfect life, a life that you and I can't live. And then to go to a cross to die in our place, to take on all of our sin and our shame, And then to rise again from the grave so that you and I could be reconciled to God. And Paul wants to gain Christ. Paul wants to be found in Christ. Paul wants to know Christ. 
but not know in the sense of kind of head knowledge. He wants to know Jesus in a relational way, being united with him in his life, being united with him in his death, being united with him in his resurrection, that everything that's Jesus's would be Paul's as well. Paul wants more and more of Jesus. And he wants to be more and more like Jesus. And so in order for us to understand, in order for us to rightly apply what we see him talking about in verses 12 through 16, we have to see it as directly connected to what he's just shared with us in the previous verses. And so with that understanding and that goal in mind, we come to this text today where Paul is seeking to bring clarity and give encouragement to us. See, Paul says he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be like Jesus. But in verse 12, he clarifies something critical for the Philippians and for us. And it's this, that he hasn't yet obtained it. What Paul's saying is, I haven't arrived yet. I don't have it all together yet. Paul's clarifying and he's reminding us and the Philippians, listen, I'm not perfect. I mean, that's good news for, for us. I mean, Paul, we look at the Apostle Paul and we're like, man, this guy, he knows what it looks like to follow Jesus. He's an exemplary follower of Jesus. In fact, in the next section that we're going to look at next week, he even calls us to look to him and others as examples of a life of following Jesus. But we need to make sure we see something that he wanted the Philippians to see, he wants us to see, and it's this, that his example isn't a call to perfection. Perfection is not possible in this life. We're not going to get to a point in this life until Christ comes again or calls you home where you don't still struggle. And Paul's saying, me too. I still sin. I still struggle. Paul is still tempted to find his joy and his satisfaction in in other things besides Jesus. In other words, Paul is just like you. He's just like me. So Paul's call is to pursue Christ to become more and more like him in this life. He isn't perfect, but he says he presses on to make a life with Christ and for Christ his own. That he wants to have ownership over this, that he wants to grab a hold of it and never let it go. But notice why he says this. We can't miss this. Look at at the beginning of this verse. I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul belongs to Jesus. Jesus sought him and saved him, and Paul wasn't even looking for him. Jesus broke into Paul's life and called him to himself. What an amazing truth that the good shepherd, that Jesus called Paul, and Paul followed him by faith. And like all of us, Paul was dead in his sin and rebellion. He was unable and unwilling to be reconciled to God. Yet, Just like when Jesus spoke Lazarus' name and called him out of the grave, he called Paul out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light. And this is the reality. For every single person who's been saved by grace, Jesus came to take hold of you so that you could take hold of him. He pulled you out of the dark, drowning waters of death due to your disobedience and rescued you with resurrecting power and redeeming grace. What an amazing reality. The truth is that you and I did not and cannot do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's because the Father loved you, and he sent his Son to save you. So Paul gets that, 
and it's radically changed his life. Everything else has slipped away, has faded into the background for Paul. Everything is so much more focused on Christ. He wants to be with his Savior. He wants to be like his Savior. We learn in in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to see him face to face. And so he longs for more and more of this because he recognizes what Christ has done for him and is continuing to do in his life. So in verse 13, he reiterates again, he hasn't arrived yet. But then he calls our attention to the most important thing that he declares to us. He declares to us how he is living out this journey with Jesus. And it's of great encouragement to us as well. Look at verse 13 through verse 14. The middle of verse 13 says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, in light of his union with Jesus, in light of his new life in Jesus, if his goal is to become more like Jesus, if his goal is to gain Jesus, if his goal is to walk with Jesus, to know more of Jesus, then this is the one thing, the most important thing that Paul can do, that we can do in order to achieve that goal. And it begins with forgetting what lies behind. Now, forgetting is a strong word, and it's a strong word of action. It's not something that just happens. It's Paul saying he's purposefully forgetting. And so it's really important that we understand what he is and isn't talking about. So what is it that he's forgetting? Well, he says he's forgetting what lies behind. See, Paul in this moment is calling us to turn away from rearview living. Rearview living is living a life with a focus on your regrets and your resume. It's living a life where your focus is on your sin and your self-righteousness. Living a life where you're focused on your shame and your successes. It's forgetting both the accolades and the things you'd rather not admit to others. This has been the reality for Paul in his own life. There's been things that he's done that have been You know, from the world's perspective, good. There's been things that he's done from the world's perspective that would be considered bad or wicked. But Paul's saying, I'm forgetting all of those things. Why? Why does Paul do this? Because he's come to realize that none of those things from his past are where his identity is anymore. And the same is true for you if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you've truly been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done, then you are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. What that literally means for you is that your old life has been crucified with Christ. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been executed when Jesus is executed. And when you place your faith in Jesus, then you're no longer identifying with your rebellion. When you place your faith in Jesus, you're no longer identifying with any sense of self-sufficiency. When you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're no longer identifying with any ability to make yourself right before God. Instead, you're identifying with Jesus in his death, your old life buried in the tomb. And you're identifying with Jesus in his resurrection, 
That just as our Lord was raised again from the grave, you too are given new life, resurrection life. You are regenerated. You are recreated. You are reborn when you come to know and follow Christ. And so it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. See, what we need to see, though, is that rearview living is a tactic of the enemy. Our enemy, who we talked about last week, who hates the fact that you bear the image of God and would seek to do anything to malign and destroy that within you. Rearview living is a tactic of the enemy who will throw stuff in your face to cause you to find your identity in something that's been done to you or by you. To say you are your anger. You, you are your sexual immorality. You are your addiction. You are your broken family. You are whatever it happens to be, your depression, your anxiety. To say this is who you are, just keep focusing on that. That's where your identity is fine because he's seeking to distract you, friend. He's seeking to discourage you. Rearview living is a scheme of a wayward world who calls evil good and good evil. We've even seen this week in the news. See, our culture seeks to constantly place you in a box. To place you in a box that encourages you to identify with your past. To find your identity in that. And then depending on what those things are, the things that you've done or have been done to you, our culture then will either shame you or celebrate you. And the confusion of our culture is that can change from day to day. But all of it's rear view living. All of it's rear view living and all of those false identities will never be able to sustain you. Never be able to save you. But in and through Jesus, in and through Jesus there is freedom. Because in and through Jesus, you, listen to me, you are not your failures. And you are not your abilities. You are a beloved child of God. That's your identity now if you're in Christ. Do you believe that this morning? See, when Paul says he's forgetting what lies behind, he is inviting you to walk away from rear view living. And he's inviting you to experience the freedom that is only available in and through Christ. But see, this forgetting, it isn't a call to amnesia. It's not like when Jesus saves you, he kind of like men in blacks your brain, right? Like he erases your memories. So it can't be like, well, am I just supposed to just, I, don't, I can't do that. I, I can't just forget. I have scars and wounds. I have things that are going on in my life. How am I supposed to do this? But we need to understand what Paul's talking about here. What he means by forgetting is this, that you're not focusing on your past. That you're not dwelling on it. That you're not staking your value on it. As if your value rises or falls based off the things in your past. You are not puffed up by your past or torn down by it. Just like God forgets your sin and shortcomings, removing them from you as far as the east is from the west. When you are in Christ, the Father looks at you and he doesn't see your past. He looks at you in your present position as a redeemed son, as a redeemed daughter, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's how our Father sees you. But there's a problem, and this is why this matters, this is why it's important for us as followers of Jesus. See, too often we fall into the waves and the winds of culture, 
And I would argue that one of our culture's most significant aspirations is to preserve the past and try and make the present eternal. We live in a death-defying culture, or at least we try to. There's all kinds of things we seek to do, believing like as if this life is all that there is. And so we have to hold on to it. We have to cling to it. And because our culture has lost a sense of future, has lost a sense of a glorious hope, that's all it has. But even as followers of Jesus, we can find ourselves getting sucked into this too. And so we're striving to maintain in our life instead of mature. We, we hold on to the past instead of holding fast to our Savior. And when we do, we become, as the Apostle James writes, we become double-minded fools. See, the problem is that sometimes the thing we forget isn't what lies behind. The thing we forget is what lies ahead. And we go through seasons of spiritual amnesia, forgetting the reality of a new life with Jesus, just forgetting Jesus. I know I can do this. Sometimes when my mind wanders, when my heart wanders, I do as one of my favorite songs says, I watch my failures play back on repeat. And I can't find a button to press stop or delete. And so I can get wrapped up in that. In those moments, it's all too easy for me to forget that God's mercies are new every single morning. In those moments, it's easy for me to forget that God is still at work in me. It's easy in those moments to forget that God has and is and will change me. It's easy for me in those moments to forget that the God who began a good work in me, that the God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. But see, that's why the rest of verse 13 and 14 are so, so important for us. Let me read them again for us. But one thing I do, forgetting What lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, it isn't just a call to not look back over your shoulder in the race. It's to forget what lies behind by straining forward to what lies ahead. By pressing on to get more and more of Jesus. See, straining and pressing on, those are strong words too. I mean, if we really think about the idea of what straining means, this is like putting every bit of effort, exerting all of your energy towards something. You're straining to where, man, I'm not going to have anything left. And that's what a runner does when a runner's racing in a race and trying to win. He or she doesn't just kind of jog or give a half-hearted try. She runs with intensity. He leaves it all out there in order to cross that finish line. But here's the key that we have to see in this, that we can't disconnect from this, that we forget what lies behind, we strain forward to what actually lies ahead. See, the intensity of your running, the intensity of your straining is corollary. It's connected to the thing you're running for. If you just strain for straining's sake, you're going to give up. You're going to slow down. And we see that with Roger Bannister and John Landy. They were straining with intensity because they wanted to beat the other person, because they wanted to win the race, because they wanted to break a four-minute mile. It helps to know. I would say it's critical to know what it is you're straining for. And so for Paul and for us, it isn't pressing on to get more achievements. 
I think even as followers of Jesus, we can slip into this as well. We can say, okay, I get the part. I'm trying to forget what lies behind. I'm not finding my identity in those things. I'm going to strain forward to accomplish more things for Jesus, to check more boxes for Jesus, to have spiritual victories. We sometimes live life like we're trying to earn spiritual merit badges. Right? Maybe you're in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, right? And you do certain things and you get a badge to show off that thing that you did. And sometimes we live our spiritual lives like that, trying to earn more spiritual merit badges. That's not what Paul's calling us to strain towards, to run towards, to press on towards. We're pressing on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. That means the goal isn't perfection for perfection's sake, it's Jesus. Jesus is the goal, to get more of him, to be with him, to be made like him. To long for the day that 1 John 3 and Colossians 3 tell us about, that when we see Jesus, when he comes again, that you and I, if we are in Christ, will be made like him. That we'll have a gloriousness just as he has. That we are just waiting eagerly for that time and for that day. And it's that that makes life meaningful now. That you have a blessed hope in your glorious Savior who you now know in part, but one day will fully known, even as you have been fully known, when Jesus calls you home or comes again. And so Paul runs, and he strains, and he presses on until he reaches it. Paul has a single-minded focus in life, and he wants you to have it too. See, Paul is straining and pressing on, And you and I have to strain and press on because the world and the enemy and our flesh are going to seek to distract you and discourage you from running your race and finishing. Even misguided pseudo-spirituality, things that kind of sound spiritual and good and throw some God-like language in there, but isn't rooted in God's Word, isn't rooted in the reality of the Gospel, it's distracting distracting you away from Jesus, even legalistic rule following, thinking that I just need to do more things for God. If I just do this and if I just do that, then I'll be closer to him. All those things, they're distracting. They discourage your pursuit of a life with Christ and for Christ because they aren't focused on Christ. See, at the end of the day, Paul isn't worried about perfectionism with the Philippians. He's worried about perseverance. They'll keep running the race and finish the race. Brothers and sisters, there's an expectation of progress in the Christian life. That you would be transformed and changed from one degree of glory to another. But that doesn't come about from the law. It comes from following Jesus. And the assurance of a real relationship with Jesus then isn't based on a past experience. It's based on a present faith. Are you trusting in Jesus now? Are you following Jesus now? Are you pursuing him now? And maybe the reality for you is that you've never actually trusted in Christ. Maybe you've been hanging out with us for a few weeks. Maybe this is your first time to gather with the church in a long time or ever. Maybe right now you recognize, man, I don't know what it's like to know Christ. Maybe for some of you, you're just realizing that you've been playing a part. But 
It hasn't been a reality for you of you actually running after Christ and seeking to follow Him. Maybe for some of you, you've just lost focus. Over the last week, over the last month, over the last year or years of your life, that you know your need for your Savior, that you have a genuine faith, but it's just been a a faltering faith. No matter where you find yourself, let me encourage you this morning to turn to our living Savior. Turn to Him and experience the freedom and forgiveness that's offered to you. See, Paul strives to forget his past failures. He strives to forget his past achievements. He's unencumbered by them as he runs his race because of, because of the gloriousness of the one who sought and saved him. And so what that means for you and what that means for me is that you will not experience freedom from rearview living unless Jesus is the object of your gaze. And see, the blessing of grace is that you can run and strain like Paul even in the midst of debilitation and difficulty. It doesn't require that you have to be in peak physical condition like an actual runner to run this kind of race. What it requires of you is faith in the faithful one. That all you know that you need is Jesus and that you call out to him and focus your life on him and ask him to draw you more and more towards himself. So friend, run in hope to your Savior. Run to him to receive the grace that we continually and constantly need. And I love what Paul says in verse 15. He's given this exhortation. He's talked about his own life and in the midst of that has called us to these things. But then he says this, verse 15, in case you think this doesn't apply to you, let those of us who are mature think this way. If we're like, well, maybe that's just for Paul. No, Paul's making it very clear this isn't just his ambition, it's for all of us who are mature. Now, that begs the question, what does it mean to be mature? And there's all kinds of things that have been written and talked about in books and whatnot that have kind of try to give definitions to what it means to be spiritually mature. You need to know more things. If you can quote lots of scripture, then you must be spiritually mature. If you know lots of theology, you must be spiritually mature. Or maybe it's about righteous living, that if you live a good life, that if you do good things, that if you appear to be holy in the behavior of your life, that you do more good than bad, that that is a sign of spiritual maturity. Or maybe it's just that you serve and give and you show up and you go all in, that those are all signs of spiritual maturity. But listen, we can cut through all of that and agree with Paul. To be spiritually mature, he says, is to think this way. To see all the world offers you and to declare with your mouth and your life, take the world but give me Jesus. And so are you mature by that definition? Is that what your life looks right now, right, round, right now? Are you living in freedom from living in the rear view? Are you living from freedom from that? Are you forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead? Are you pressing on to get more of Jesus? Maybe the answer for you is yes. Maybe for some of you the answer is no, you're not doing that. Maybe for, I would guess, a lot of us it's kind of yes and kind of no. See, the reality is if you're really mature, you actually realize how mature you aren't yet. Because the more you learn about following Christ, the more you realize how much you need him. That you never get a place of moving on from Jesus. And so there's hope for you, friend. 
There's hope for me because our God is patient and he's kind and he's gracious and he's merciful and he's long-suffering. We look at verse 15 again. Let those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise. So if you're mature, think like a mature person, pursue this thing. But if you're not thinking in a mature way, what does it say? God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So if you struggle, maybe I should say when you struggle to think this way, when you're drawn off track, when you are distracted of living with a single-minded focus, God will reveal it to you. Maybe he's doing that for you this morning right now. How will he do that? We saw in verse 14 that God is the one who has and is calling you. He's called you. He's beckoning you. He's enabling you to be faithful, to follow your Savior. And God speaks to you. He speaks to you through his living and active word. He speaks to you by his spirit. He speaks to you through his people. And so we can listen to him in those things. When we're distracted and we're living life in the rear view. Now, I don't want you to think that when I say reading or hearing from him through his word, that we're just looking at Bible reading like it's a box to check. God will not love you more or love you less if you read or don't read your Bible. But that's not the point. The point isn't to gain love from God. The point isn't to earn love from God. We come to the holy, living, and active word to get more of our Savior, to fellowship with our God and King. That as we open this Bible up, that God uses it in a supernatural way that is unexplainable apart from a living and active God. He uses it to interpret our lives, to remind us of who he is, to remind us of who we are in light of who he is. And so we open up God's word and we intentionally pursue it. It's one of our confident hopes as our church is that we would relentlessly pursue God through his word. It's not about checking any boxes. It's about seeing and savoring our Savior and God speaking to us through his word. When we hear from God by his spirit, are we asking him to do that? I was just challenged by some brothers the other night. We were hanging out and just thinking about when Ephesians 5, it talks about praying to be filled with the spirit. I don't know that I do that as often as I should Meaning that we need to be doing that constantly throughout the day. God, would you fill me with your spirit that I could speak faithfully to the people I'm interacting with? Would you fill me with your spirit so I can walk into work and represent you well to my coworkers? Would you fill me with your spirit so I can love my family well? Would you fill me with your spirit so I can walk away from temptation and walk away from sin? Would you fill me with your spirit in such a way that I am attentive to you and I'm listening to you and you're leading me and you're guiding me? Would you fill me with your spirit so I can run this race? We can hear from God from his people. We see this as a gift to have one another, that we would listen to one another. Not that somebody's going to come tell you that they know everything God has planned for your life, but we would listen to the encouragement of a spirit-filled brother or sister and receive that as such, to be edified and built up, to continue to run the race ahead of us. All of these things help you to forget what lies behind. All of these things help you to strain forward to what lies ahead, to stay focused and faithful. See, brothers and sisters, it's the voice of God that overpowers the siren call of the world. And so are you listening? Are you listening? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead is, is rooted in the reality that Jesus has already made you his own. He's already made you his own. 
You can run the race with endurance because God promises to bring you all the way home. So hold fast. Hold fast to what you've already received, what you know to be true, that you are his and he is yours. Don't listen to the lies of the deceiver and the accuser. Listen to the voice of your God and Savior. You see, the amazing reality is when you and I strain forward to what lies ahead, when you press on to get more of Jesus, it becomes contagious. And as you press on, you're able to pour out, to share your joy in Jesus with those who don't yet know him. That as you pray, God, fill me with your spirit, and you go into your workplace, that there'd be something different about the way you work and live and talk, that your coworkers would see something different in you, that there's a contagious joy of Jesus in you, that your neighbor would see that, that your family member would see that, that you'd have opportunity to share the joy of Christ with others. But it's not just with those who don't yet know Christ. When you are pressing on to gain more of Jesus, you can share your joy in Jesus with those who already do know him. See, we need to remember that you And I don't run this race alone. You were never meant to run this race alone. God saved you into a community. He saved you into a family. We aren't like Roger Bannister and John Landy. We aren't competing against one another. We're running with one another, encouraging one another to finish well. And when one of us is weak and failing and faltering, when one of us feels like giving up, when We are just done. We can be there with one another to exhort and encourage, to lift each other up, sometimes to put someone on our back and say, I'll run with you and for you for a little while because you don't have faith right now, but I do. That's why it's so important to gather with the church week in and week out, to be reminded you're not in this race alone. You're not running this race alone, that you've got brothers and sisters around you that are gonna encourage you to keep running to remind you of why you're running it all. Both of these things, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, are a present state of ongoing action. This means this is for all of life. This is the life of a disciple of Jesus. Paul hasn't arrived yet. Paul also isn't willing to settle for some mediocre life of acknowledging the gospel with his mouth but not acting like it matters for the rest of his life. He isn't satisfied with rearview living. And what about you? Friends, there is grace to continue to become more like Jesus until you see Jesus face to face. So stay focused. Don't look back. Lift up your eyes. Look straight ahead and keep striving to move forward knowing that he who began a good work in you, that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. And For that, we can rejoice. One of the ways that we get to rejoice together every week is to take communion with each other. It's our first response to the preaching of God's word And then we get to stand and worship our God together through song. And so this communion meal is an opportunity each week to be reminded of and refreshed in the covenant commitment God has made to you in Christ. When you eat the bread, it's a picture of Jesus' body broken to heal your brokenness. When you drink the cup, it's a picture of Jesus' blood shed so your sins could be forgiven. And so when you eat and drink this meal, you're reminded that your identity isn't rooted in your past. Over your regrets or your resume, your sin or your self-righteousness, your shame 
or your successes. It's a meal that renews your identity in Jesus. And so as you come forward this morning, come in repentance and come in faith. Repent of living life in the rear view and set your gaze once again on the Savior who bled and died to make you new now and forever. For those of you that are not followers of Jesus, again, I'm just grateful that God's brought you here this morning. I hope that you hear all this as an invitation to actually know Christ. And so during this time of communion, we would just ask you, if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, just to hang out in your seat. And people moving around, coming forward, we just ask you to hang in your seat, not just kind of uh, passively, but actively thinking and, and praying. And if you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus and say, I, I don't really know exactly what that looks like, but I want him, then just tell God that. And let somebody around you know that so we can journey with you and help you, and you can help us continue to know and follow our Savior. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or in the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink. And what Christ our Lord has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father of grace, we come before you and ask you to give us grace. Give us grace to wade through the distraction and the discouragement of this world and this life. God, give us grace to set our gaze on Jesus. Forgive us, God, for where we haven't done that. Where we've been distracted, where we've been living life in the rear view. God, would you help us to see the gloriousness of our Savior? Would you help us to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead? God, would you help us by your grace to get more of Jesus here and now? And we pray this in his name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.